0: Everybody, welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW show where we hit on all the biggest news of the week. As always with Bayern Munich, we have a lot to talk about. And as you know, I always like to hit on a little bit of the entertainment buzz going on, what I'm watching, and all that nonsense. So I'll do that at the end. Uh, We're going to break our format a little bit just because – Instead of having so many diverse topics this week, there seem to be just a few huge topics to talk about. So we're going to spend a little bit more time on each of those and uh, push aside some of that smaller news of the week. And what better way to get started than to hit on the biggest issue that we have seen in a long time on Sabiner Strasse. It's the biggest internal issue that I can remember. Now, we've, we've survived quite a few things since I've been at BFW. You had the Carlo controversies. You've had Louis Gate, where he was in or out back in 2018. You've had the Nico Kovac era. You've had a lot. But now, there appears to be a big power struggle going on within the club. And manager Julian Nagelsmann is right at the heart of it. By all accounts, and there have been a lot of stories released this week, the most recent by Sport One. Uh, by all accounts, Nogglesman has been given the keys to the castle. Now, the caveat is to keep those keys, he has to keep winning. But Nogglesman is being given everything he needs or everything he says he needs to succeed. They've upgraded the technology. Uh, with the team they have improved some of the things that he wanted done at the training grounds including giving him another private area so no one can see what they're working on uh, as you know build and sky and some of the other outlets in germany love to go and snap pics of things that Bayern uh, is working on at their training sessions sometimes it's formations sometimes it's player combinations within those formations sometimes it's just specific tactics and Nagelsmann is very aware of that and wants to prevent any of that from getting released early, so he has taken another step to making things more private. Nagelsman has also gotten involved with the personnel decisions, and in fact, during some recent transfers, including Nusar Rally, Nagelsmann was brought in to be the closer. Now, all along, we're thinking that Brazo has these magic PowerPoints that just convince players. But apparently that's just the first step in the process. That is uh, getting to third base, if you want to use a baseball term. But Nogglesman is the player that is being depended upon to knock that runner in from third and get him home for a run. So I think what we're seeing is Brazo laying that groundwork with some help from Marco Nepp, and then Nogglesman coming in and explaining to these perspective players where he's going to use them how he's going to use them what he sees for them in the future and I think that that has probably been a good thing that the brass has decided to involve him in that context because in some ways it does alleviate any miscommunications although you could really argue that there has been nothing but miscommunications when it comes to some players including Ryan Grabenberg. beside that Uh, Nagelsmann has seemingly been able to step into that role and really do a good job at closing those deals. So uh, he has been empowered to become a very important player at Bayern Munich. And how this all ties into the recent Manuel Neuer controversy is that if Nagelsmann sees fit to replace Neuer as captain, It would not shock me based on all the reports that we've seen in the last two weeks that the club would let him do it. Now, I think it would be a mistake, but it does seem as though he's going to have that type of authority to make that decision. And the most recent example of Nagelsmann having that authority, of course, was the situation with goalkeeper coach Tony Tapalovic, who was popular with the players. He was a confidant of Manuel Neuer. There were rumors that he did not invest himself into some of the other goalkeepers as much as Neuer, and that was a a point of contention. But the more you read about the situation, the more it becomes apparent that Nagelsmann just wanted his own man in there. And with that, I think it's pretty safe to say that there are things happening on this team that are designed or being pushed to make this club evolve and put that next generation forward. Uh, getting rid of tapalovic when they did to me was a red flag because Nagelsmann did it when Neuer was away from the team. So if all of these issues were prevalent, to me – he could have let Tapalovic go in the fall or in the summer. I mean, it's not like this stuff was new. I don't think anything that was reported about Tapalovic, even being a mole, was probably news to anyone. If if all of this leaked out, chances are people in the know on the campus probably had heard all of these rumors. Whether they're true or not doesn't much matter at this point because the decision was made. But the point is that Nagelsmann wanted his own guy to come in and be the goalkeeper's coach, and that's what he did in hiring Michael Reckner. So when you have all of that factored in, you're seeing a coach that has been anointed the one to lead Bayern's next generation and to put the club into its next phase. We've had this Champions League era where every year the club competed for the Champions League. They've won an astounding amount of Bundesliga's under the leadership of players like Neuer and Thomas Muller and Robert Lewandowski when he was here, and even players like Jerome Boateng and Mats Hummels. I mean, they played key roles in recent years in helping guide the team. But now that leadership structure has one by one started to erode. Right now, you basically have from that bygone era, Manuel Neuer and Thomas Muller as the players that still have key roles on the squad. Of course, you have these transitional players that are in, players that aren't quite in that 19 to 21 age bracket or even 19 to 22, that are more in the mid-career, who are now stepping up into these veteran roles and expected to be leaders. The person most at the forefront is yashua Kimmich. And this is where it all becomes a little bit complicated because a lot of the stories that we saw this week Either imply or flat out state that Nagelsman would like to make Kimmich the captain. And this is where the road really starts to get bumpy when you think about having that much power on Sabnerstrasse. Now, from Kimmich's standpoint, I don't think you could find anyone that would not agree that he would be the most logical candidate to be the next captain. The problem is you have Neuer here. Neuer is established. He is well respected, not just by his teammates, but by just about everyone. Uh, It's hard to find anyone that would knock Manuel Neuer's career. Now, I I think you could find plenty of people that would uh, take a cut at his decision to go skiing in the middle of the season and subsequently hurting himself. That was, uh, to me, a a very bad call. In some ways, it was selfish. But in the end, uh, he's out and now Byron is left in this phase where they are starting to transition to this next generation where Kimmich and Goretzka and Gnabry and Sane, they are becoming the veterans. And I don't want to use the term has-beens or anything like that, but Mueller and Neuer are now getting toward the tail end of their career where they're not exactly key figures. And that's why I'm very reluctant to uh, refer to them as washed up or anything, because I don't believe Mueller or Neuer are washed up at all. Neuer remains to be seen. I think he was playing fairly well before he hurt his leg. Uh, for Muller, I think he's proved once again that he is still one of the more integral players on the team. But when you look at the composition, the roster, and the future of things, he is definitely not a player who Byron is planning with. So when you have Neuer and Muller on that tail end of their careers, and you have this pretty large group of players that are right there dead in the middle who are extremely important, And then you have this younger crew coming in who, aside of Musiala, um, you really don't have many from that team category that are coming in and going to be expected to to have uh, big roles in the next season or two. But I think you'll start to see some of them ramp into something. Uh, You could especially see a player like Gravenberg considering – uh what's going on with him, you could start to see him take a little bit of a bigger role. But uh, you know, this team is definitely one that's in transition. And if Nogglesman decides that now is the time to make Kimmich the captain, I think it's going to create a lot of issues. Uh not only do I think it would cause friction in the team, and no matter how professional Neuer and Kimmich say they are, it would be awkward for sure, not just for club, but for country. I mean these are two guys that are going to be together assuming Neuer can recover they're going to be together for at least the next 2 years in all facets of their footballing lives uh you know assuming Neuer stays with the club as well uh but if if Nagelsmann jumps the gun a little early and makes this move it is really risking an opportunity that Bayern Munich has uh listen Bayern by at least by my account is not as strong compared to the other teams in Europe as they might've been in the past. But what I can say about this season's Byron group is that they might not need to be. Uh, and we'll dig into the PSG matchup coming up, but uh, PSG is ripe for the picking. They've got some injuries. Uh, they're not exactly rolling right now. And it could be a situation where Byron is catching them at the right time. When you look at some of the other traditional favorites or some of the teams that look like they should be favorites for this year's Champions League, you look at City, you look at Liverpool, you look at Real Madrid, they're all scuffling in different ways. There's controversy hanging over City. Jurgen Klopp is is having a lot of trouble getting the most out of that team. Uh, he's got some parts that really might not fit what he wants them to do. Real Madrid in and of itself is in a bit of a transition with its roster, there is really no clear cut favorite this year. And if you would have asked me that a month and a half ago, I would have said Man City, Barnon. they are going to win the Champions League. But they've got a lot hanging over them as well. They've got all of this financial fair play type controversy going on. Uh, we're seeing that as much as Pep Guardiola's squad should be set up to keep Erling Holland involved and productive, sometimes it doesn't happen. And I don't know if it's due to Holland's own play or sometimes just the way that Pep's attack functions. And if, if you remember back to Pep's days at Bayern Munich, there were definitely games where it seemed like the offense was more concerned with the possession number than the goal number. And it was very frustrating at times to watch Pep's teams play when the teams fell into that kind of funk. And I think City, in some respects, can fall into that trap as well. So no matter how much talent they have and no, how, no matter how much that talent seems to fit what Pep wants them to do, they still scuffle at times with the way uh, they play. And And, of course, I'm talking about trying to get goals on the scoreboard. So this is a season where... If Bayern Munich can stay the course, if they can continue to stay relatively healthy, and if they can stay productive, they might actually have a chance, more so because this is a down year for just about everybody, rather than it being an exceptionally strong year for Bayern Munich. Now, when we had the 2019-2020 treble season, I think by the time we were at this stage, you know, we were obviously getting ready for the world to shut down, but when it did restart and we saw that everything that Flick had talked about and everything that he had wanted to implement and want to get through to his team was really being carried out on the pitch, there was an air of confidence where you could look at that team and say, they legitimately should win the Champions League this season. But even then, when they had that strong of a team, and, and honestly, the entire roster was playing at an incredibly high level, it still required some breaks for them to get there. If you think about that season, I mean, you could argue that Manchester City or Liverpool would have been a a much harder matchup, or even Real Madrid, they all would have been a, a harder matchup than Bayern facing PSG in the final. There were plenty of things that could have gone differently with that. So it takes some luck. It takes, you know, the manager being able to coax a team to get into that position. And I worry that if Nagelsmann pulls the trigger as some kind of punishment for Manuel Neuer speaking out against the, the sacking of Tony Tapalovich, that it's going to have an effect on the team that will put them right in the mix with squads like City and Liverpool and Real Madrid, who are extremely talented, but not quite being able to put it all together this season for one reason or another. And I would say that if... You replace Neuer now, you're going to set something off in the team that could be very divisive. And I am watching that situation very closely because I don't believe that the team would accept it for the most part. Some players I'm sure would. And I think it would create some animosity there. Would it create some animosity toward Nagelsmann? Absolutely. How about toward Kimmich? I think it probably would. Um, there is a perception going on that Nagelsmann and Kimmich are close, maybe too close uh, for many people's likings. And if that's true, and again, it's just a perception at this point, then it could be an issue where players are seeing that if Kimmich is, it takes the over from Neuer on a permanent basis, I'm not just talking about while Neuer's out, I, I think it's going to send a bad message. And it could be a very controversial move and topic that becomes... An issue that drags the team down. So I'm extremely worried about that. Of course, we saw the news break as well this week that Bayern Munich is going to meet on how to handle Manuel Neuer and his uh, two interviews that were released, one by the Athletic and one I believe it was either Aben Zeitung or Tz. Uh, either way. Uh, They're going to meet after the PSG tie, which is pretty ominous to me because if this is a situation where they just want Neuer to apologize, I don't know if he'll do it. He might just because it's the PC thing to do and it's the path of least resistance. Uh, I do believe they're going to fine him, uh, which again, for somebody in his financial stratosphere, I don't think that'll be an issue, but I don't knock Neuer for voicing his displeasure. Uh, with the situation. And to be honest, being a captain is not always about towing the company line. And I wrote that this week on BavarianFootballWorks.com. Sometimes you have to take a difficult stance. Sometimes you have to speak your mind, even when it goes against the club. And perhaps Neuer isn't the only one seeing things as being too heavily slanted towards Nogglesman these days. Inevitably, If there is that perception that Nagelsmann is getting everything he wants, that he holds the power, the players are typically not going to be 100% bought into that. The players, of course, want the power for themselves. They don't want the coach to have 100% authority over them. Sure, the coach is always going to make tactical decisions, personnel decisions for games and things like that, but they don't want to feel like he's calling the shots on transfers. That he, anything he says will absolutely be implemented. Because as we know, I mean, n- not every coach is going to implement the best tactics. They're not always going to hire the best people. And I think it's got to be a fine balance between the coach having enough power and the players having enough say to make things work. And if there is a perception that Nogglesman has much more backing from the club than the players do then it's going to be a situation that could become explosive in a lot of ways. So uh, I I don't believe at this point that the club should even take any action against Neuer. I think that whether you believe Neuer was right or wrong in, in in voicing his concerns that way um, you know, everyone has their personal opinion on that, but I don't think he did anything that was detrimental to the success of the team. I don't think he did anything that's holding the team back I think he made some valid criticisms about how he felt. And as a veteran, he can do that. Uh, I know one of the things that could get kicked around is, you know, just a couple of weeks back, I said, well, you know, Ryan Gravenberg shouldn't be complaining to the media about his playing time. The way I see the two different situations is Neuer's the team captain. He has a responsibility to communicate what's going on with the team, go to bad. And he is someone that's won a world cup. He's won multiple champions leagues. Um, He has absolutely been the player who has been a foundational piece for the club, you know, for more than a decade. Now Gravenberg is in his first year with the club. He entered a situation where he is behind was at least when he came to the club behind three, very solid veterans and, you know, he had to have an idea that playing time and a starting position weren't necessarily going to be in the works this year. So I, I think the two separations and how a player talks to the media, they're completely different. Um, but Neuer used the media, just like Grabenberg did, as a tool, a tool to get his message out there. And if the club didn't have a problem with Burke complaining about his playing time, but did have a problem with Neuer complaining about Tapilovic sacking. um, You know, it it makes me wonder what's going on behind the scenes, how the club really feels about Neuer. How pissed off are they about Neuer putting them in this position where Brazo had to cut his vacation short. The club had to go out and spend money on a goalkeeper that they didn't necessarily budget for. Um, I think there probably is a little bit of ill will there, but I think that in the end, everyone needs to sit down in a room and whenever they have this meeting, it should be not just with Neuer, but also with the other team leaders, that leadership council that Nagelsmann has assembled and the executives, the coaches and the players should all air out exactly what they feel. And, if that doesn't get the team aligned, nothing will. And I I honestly don't believe there's that big of a fracture between anything. I think there's something between Neuer and Nogglesman, but it's not necessarily something that could take the team down. I think Nogglesman has the full backing from the executives. And I also think that, you know, in the locker room, there are probably some people feeling like Nogglesman either has too close of a relationship with Kimmich or that Nagelsmann has too much power in general. But either way, it's a situation that all fans are going to follow because it does affect the team over the course of the rest of this season. So as always with BFW, we'll be on top of everything. And I highly suggest you take a look at some of the recent posts we've had on that situation because there have absolutely been uh, a lot of of, of good and interesting pieces put out by the German media that we've been able to capture and, and post on our site. One of the other big topics, and this is something I just touched on, was the upcoming tie against PSG. Uh, PSG, of course, now is, is all over the place on whether Kylian Mbappe is playing or he's not playing, or he might try and play a little bit nobody knows. There's so much information and misinformation floating around. We don't really know if Mbappe is going to play. One thing I do know is that if he plays injured or not, he is going to be a major factor because the dude is just, he's dangerous. I, Whenever he is on the pitch, he is uh, a weapon, he is a threat, and the dude can just flat out play. Now listen, I, I don't always like Mbappe and what he does or what he says but man he is a great player and he just impacts games and with that Bayern Munich I mean it makes their whole their whole game plan change whether he plays or not so Nagelsmann and his coaching staff are going to be put to the test because they are really going to have to look at this situation and say you know Mbappe you know, if he plays, we have to do this. If he does not play, we shift to this certain line of thinking or certain strategy. But the X factor in this, aside of Mbappe, is that Messi is now banged up. And if Messi doesn't play and Mbappe doesn't play, it changes the entire dynamic. It will change how PSG plays, it will change how Bayern defends, how Byron attacks, how aggressive Byron can be. So there's a lot going on with this with this tie. I'm excited to see what happens because I feel like Bayern Munich's talent still hasn't hit its full stride yet. I think its recent matches have shown that this team is ready to break out and that Nagelsmann is getting through a lot of his strategies and his tactics and what he wants from the team. It's starting to be communicated through and received. I think that hasn't always been the case this season. He might be saying something but how it plays out when the players are on the pitch hasn't necessarily really lined up. So this is the opportunity for Nagelsmann to show that he's got the coaching chops to be able to take down a power like PSG, but it's also an onus on the roster to come out and play well and win talent versus talent. And it doesn't matter if Mbappe is there. It doesn't matter if Messi is there. You have to win with whoever is in front of you. So in my mind, while I think for the viewing part of this, if you just want to view a great game, you want PSG to have Messi and Mbappe. If you're just watching this from a Bayern fan standpoint, you're hoping that those two miss the first first leg and that Bayern can get up and, and get a convincing lead going. I mean, personally, I feel like this is going to be a a. I think it's going to be a tough, tough tie no matter what because I think... One of the things I've I've seen and, and that I've realized over the course of watching so many games in different sports over the years is sometimes there is a mentality that overcomes teams when they're missing a star player or two, that the next level of player down, they start to rally together, then that third tier play that third tier level of player someone steps up and raises their game up. And then when you have this sort of pack mentality where everyone is working together with one common goal, knowing that you don't have an Mbappe or a Messi or another superstar to bail you out, I think there's something that can happen in a good way for a team like that. And it wouldn't shock me, given some of the veterans that PSG has and some of the talent that PSG has, that they can't pull together something like that. That said, when I go to make my prediction on this match, I will absolutely be picking Byron because the way Byron has evolved over the past couple of weeks and the versatility and flexibility that they're showing and being able to adapt to different formations and different playing partners in those formations, I think we're starting to see what this Byron team can be. And I think that in and of itself, Byron is going to raise its own level of play to be prepared for PSG. I don't think we're going to see what we saw last year uh, against Villarreal when when Bayern looked like it was sleepwalking through both legs of that tie and it couldn't get much going at all. So I'm excited about the matchup. I'm probably maybe even a little bit more excited to see whether Mbappe and Messi play. But regardless of who suits up for PSG, I think it's going to be a fantastic matchup. Oh, I mean, it. it it, it will definitely be one uh, that will capture all of the attention of Bayern Munich fans, and I think the PSG faithful as well. No matter who who plays for them, they'll be watching in droves too. The last thing I wanted to touch on this week in terms of football are just a couple of transfer rumors that we saw. Just give me my quick hit thoughts on those. Benjamin Pavar, we saw that Brazo confirmed that he did receive a late offer. In the winter transfer window on Pavar, but the club opted not to do that. And it was from Inter Milan. Uh Pavar, of course, is in a very unique spot. He's versatile, can play center back and right back. I thought he was having a pretty good season, uh, honestly, this year. I thought he had yeah, I thought he had a good season last year, too. Uh the problem for Pavar is now, you know, Brazo brought in Giao Cancelo. Uh, you've already got Nusar Mazraui, you've got Josip Stanisic, you've got Mateusz De Ligt, you've got Dio Upamakano, and you also have the injured Luca Hernandez. So it's tough to see a role where Pavar is going to be able to have a consistent starting role. Now Cancelo could easily go back to City on loan, uh, once I'm sorry, once his loan assignment ends. It remains to be seen whether Mazraui is going to be that long-term starter for Bayern Munich. We don't know yet. He was settling into the role. You had the World Cup break and then Of course, he has some post-COVID type ailment that is is really creating some issues for him and it's kept him out. So we don't know where Masraoui is going to fit once he comes back or really when he's going to be fully healthy and ready to go. So with that, Pavar had a lot of value to Bayern Munich this season, but where it goes from here, I don't know. I do anticipate that if Bayern does get a decent offer for him and I would expect Inter Milan to come back and chase Pavar in the summer, among many other clubs, probably. I think that Byron will probably let him walk and they'll get a decent fee for him. I mean, we've seen 30 million bandied about for him. I, I don't know if they'll get that much, especially, um, you know, depending on what his playing time situation is. Now, you'll have Upamacano and Delict back at their starting positions, you'll have Cancelo at right back you know, unless Nagelsmann continues to toy with that back three, we might not see much playing time for Pavar, which of course will affect his transfer fee. So we'll keep an eye on that one. Some of the other transfer rumors we saw, Bayern Munich not necessarily being out on Randall Colomani, of course, from Eintracht Frankfurt. I, I don't know if that's, really going to materialize i think frankfurt at this point has no interest in selling him they also want between 80 and 100 million for him which i can't imagine byron would be able to pay that for him so uh i wouldn't put too much stock in that now but i do think he's a player that's on Bayern's radar but just ne- not necessarily uh at this time would they be interested we did see once again harry kane being urged to join Bayern munich and that that Tottenham is not really willing to sell Kane to another English side. So once again, these these transfer rumors start to emerge and it starts to gain some momentum. And then all of a sudden you have more and more stories detailing how Harry Kane might go to Bayern Munich. I still don't believe it. Uh, Call me a doubter. I'll believe it when he's wearing a T-Mobile endorsed kit. Finally, the last one, and this was the one that, that I personally loved the most, was the Erling Haaland should go to Bayern Munich if things fall apart at Man City, rumor. Now, this isn't really, I wouldn't say this is anything totally legitimate. A lot of this is just talk, assuming that Man City is going to be hit with some kind of penalty and might have to shed some some expenses. And some of those expenses could be early, in the form of Erling Haaland, who carries a big salary number, uh, I would absolutely be 100% on board if there was any shot that Bayern Munich could get in Erling Haaland. I think he is long It'd been my personal favorite for the person to take over for Robert Lewandowski on a full-time basis. Again, I don't think it's going to happen. I think if anything at this point, you know, Real Madrid despite the fact that they have some options uh, already that they could use at that spot think they would probably be a favorite but it, you know he has Erling Haaland and Bayern Munich went down this road in the summer they had conversations and Herbert Heiner went as far to say that if not for Man City Erling Haaland would be wearing a Bayern kit so listen if there is something that actually comes out of this and Man City gets penalized which I have a hard time believing that Juventus and, and Man City these clubs are in this financial turmoil are actually going to have to make any changes that are going to really punish them. But just play devil's advocate for me, and just let's pretend they did. I don't care what Holland's salary is. You get that guy, you bring him in, and and you probably win the Champions League next year because all this talent around him, I think getting him the ball, it would be outstanding. That's what I want to see, but I legitimately don't know if if it would even be possible, because I don't believe that there is going to be any type of severe penalty toward those clubs. The last thought I have this week, and this is again, a non-footballing thought, but uh quick thoughts on the last of us, the, the most recent episode, which for me was episode four. Uh, of course the, the story picks up with Joel and Ellie traveling cross country, trying to get to their destinations. Of course, like anything, Uh, you know, we have a lot of interaction between them, a lot of conversation. And I thought that was the best part of the show. The fact that we're getting more insight into these two characters, how they interact with their past, uh, really entailed. What are some of the things that are motivating them and driving them? I thought it was fascinating. Um, then to me, it was just the interplay between them was great. Uh, you know, like any story in, in a zombie apocalypse type show, You hit a dead end, and this time it was in the form of a blocked tunnel. So they had to try and go around it. Uh, They were in Kansas City, which our guy, Philip Quinn, I'm surprised I didn't see him in the scene. But um, it was a community of survivors, I would say, that that don't necessarily have the government backing of FEDRA or whatever the organization is. I'm not that tied into the show yet to to know all of that. But um, it seems like they are kind of – uh a rogue group of people living in a, in Kansas City. Uh they have some kind of internal conflict. They also appear to have some kind of uh conflict with the infected, something happening in, in the basement of one of the buildings. I, I was unsure of that. So I want to see more about that part of the story. But either way, uh Joel and Ellie's truck, which they just spent a whole episode on, you know, basically telling the viewer, how they end up getting this truck. That truck ultimately meets its death uh, in the first half of the episode when when it's attacked. So um, all that noise about uh, that whole entire episode, which was a great episode, um, by the way, uh, the whole point of it was to get this truck to help them travel. And now the truck's dead. So I was disappointed about that because I was looking forward to seeing more of them driving in that truck. For whatever reason, I don't know. I just like the truck. But anyway, Of course, the episode ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger with the two people that are wanted by this rogue group in Kansas City for something that appears to have happened to their leader's brother. Those two people meet up with Joel and Ellie, and they are now, I guess, in, in, I don't know, I think it was a hospital building, and they are, all four of them, in hiding from this rogue group now. So we'll see what happens with that. We'll see how the story picks up this Sunday but I'm still in on The Last of Us. I think it's been pretty good. It has not hit quite as hard as some other shows typically do out of the gate. Um, but it's doing enough to keep me interested and uh, interested enough to talk about it. So um, I've been uh, happy with what I've seen so far. That'll do it for this episode. I appreciate you guys joining in for the weekend warm-up podcast. Of course, uh, please check out our post-game show when the game ends against VFL Bochum this this weekend. But if you want to get ramped up for that, you should definitely check out the preview show. Uh, where you can get some quick hit thoughts from me on what might happen in the match, how the team, how Bayern Munich might line up, and what things could look like as far as that match goes. You can always get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get Tom Adams at Tommy Adams seventy one, and you can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN, and get all of us there on Twitter. You can get us on the site every day BavarianFootballWorks.com. dot com. Stick with us there for all of the news posts, commentaries, and and all of our podcasts. Our writers and podcasters do a tremendous job. We're really proud of what we do there. And uh, one of the big benefits of what we do there is being able to interact with all of you. So appreciate that. Have a couple of beers on me this weekend, and we will see you next time.